0: Welcome to another exciting podcast of Take Two. As you can clearly hear, this is not Heidi Hatch's voice. My name is Jim Spiewak. I co-anchor with Heidi on the 4 p.m. newscast here at Channel 2. However, because of a family emergency, she was not able to make it today, so I am trying to fill her big shoes. But joining us on the podcast today is... Mara Carabello with the XORO Group, who you've heard before in the past, and also State Auditor John Dougal. He is in today as well. So I'd like to thank both of you for uh, taking some time out with us. Uh, wow, a lot going on in the world this week. I think we should probably start with impeachment. Sure. There was a, there was a pretty big that vote. happened that this week? Was that this week? <laughs> I Last think so. week, next week? I <laughs> know. Things go so fast. It kind of feels like it was in the in the far distance. Um, so I guess, Mara, we'll start with you. Just first off, uh, we probably knew that this vote to acquit was coming. What What is your final takeaway of the whole impeachment process? Well,
1: I mean, sure, I'll end I'll, I'll, where probably we'll spend a little bit of time. I think that you're right in that for better or worse, I think for many of us for worse, Uh, The results in the House and the results in the Senate were a little set up, and and it wasn't uh, original thinking. And I think there's some downside to the fact and maybe some discrediting for both the Democrats and the Republicans that – That many of us thought we knew from the beginning how it was going to go, which leads to the big unexpected, which was Mitt Romney's vote in the Senate, which was entirely beyond the script and very individualistic and um, from my seat, well articulated. But he was, I felt like the one player um, of many leaders who made his own decision, sort of tread his own road a little bit.
0: And John, for your take on that, you know, for those that are keeping score, Mitt Romney was the first senator in the history of this country to break with his party during an impeachment vote to go against his party. Uh, your your overall thoughts well, the on, on the process? Well, the
2: first one to vote to convict. Vote there to have convict. There been others that have crossed over to say. To convict, yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's an interesting dynamic. And uh, clearly, um, based on what he said, he felt like there was some serious concerns there. Um, I do know for the part of others, they felt like this whole process was designed to rough the president up, to weaken him going into the election cycle. And yeah, it looked like the whole process was set up. And I think there's also the element, which is the big question, which is, does impeachment even work? I mean, we've had three presidents impeached. None of them were ever convicted. And so I think it's natural for all of us to just wonder about that process and does that process even perform the function the founders intended
0: with the definition in the constitution a high crime or misdemeanor there's no true definition of that is there so it's it's a it's a tricky line to, to walk.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, it's also tricky because uh, depending on the side you, that you come from, you're going to say this warranted it, right? And yet, I don't think anybody wants this to be a common tool. So how do you balance between what sounds like partisanship for this uh, particular impeachment and, and no one really wanting this to be a commonly held tool? Uh, and And I think that has been the criticism of it. I think the advancement of it, and I think Frankly, um, for me, a reinforcement of the validity of it would be someone like Romney's vote who had a chance to be on the inside, who looked at all the evidence and 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 felt like it cl- clearly w- for him, at least on one charge, there was some merit. So I, I, I sit in the seat that says there was merit to this. But if I can divorce myself also from saying, boy, I hope this is not just now a, a tactic in the future.
2: Well, and that's one of my fears is it is going to become a tactic. It's just... Whoever's got the majority in the House, great. We don't like somebody. We're going to use this, and we're going to rough up that president on whichever side of the aisle that president happens to be. So that's, and, that's, and that's so totally why a whole concern going forward.
0: Why we are doing some forward-looking, let's also stay in the present for both of you. Are we in a better spot than we were when this started? Are we in a worse spot, or are we in the same spot as a country as a whole?
1: You know, I, sadly, I would say that um, partisanship, partisanship won the day. There were not many new ideas presented. Uh, both sides uh, unapologetically used it as tools for sword planting. And frankly, I'm, I'm a little tired of it. It's, it's uninteresting to me. And I think the American public has essentially said it's uninteresting to them. But for whatever reason, our elected officials are not feeling like they can do anything but but continue to plant their tribe swords. So I think in terms of um, you know, approval ratings right now, and, and the approval ratings last for 10 seconds, but right now it looked like President Trump got a little bump from the process, and that uh, both houses in Congress did not get a bump from the process, and it served to entrench the sides more. So tribalism won the day, and I don't think the voters are that interested in tribalism.
0: And John, are we better think, or worse off?
2: I think Mara's correct. The public largely didn't care about the process, and I think we're probably slightly worse off because they look at the political process and say, yeah, it's it's dysfunctional on both sides, you know. The process in the House didn't seem to work. The process in the Senate didn't seem to work whether you wanted convicted or 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 you know, not not guilty. You know, it just looked like it wasn't working. It just looked like most folks lined up with their parties and that's what they did.
0: So we start off with a rare agreement here on there this podcast. <laughs> um,
2: we'll try and do better going forward. Well, the things
0: that people have not really agreed on uh, is Senator Mitt Romney's decision to convict on one of the counts. Um, surprised by that, by that decision, John? A little surprised,
2: uh, maybe a little not. One of the questions is if, if Romney truly, truly studied out the issues and voted his conscience, then he took a very courageous stand, on that, but there's this cynical side that says, you know, the president has treated Romney so poorly over the years, and they've been feuding for years, that maybe this was just a way for him to uh, slap the president, you know, in this process.
1: I'm totally flummoxed by this. I am, I am completely confused by Utahns, and I want to, you know, I say I do not understand. Um, Republican Utahns who, who poll after poll is showing the largely at a personal level they don't understand or trust or support Trump. Yes, they like some of their platform issues. Repeatedly they say they want to be Utahns. We blaze our own way. We are driven by character and morality and deliberation. And then Romney sort of seems to do this, and people are ticked at him. And, again, one of the things that I I – I'm going to call all of us on, but particularly those elected officials are, the suggestion here is that somehow that the party, and therefore the leader of this party, the criticism I have heard of Romney is how dare he not support the president. And I find that criticism so profoundly un American. We are we we are here. Our, our system is intact to criticize those who we not snark at it. I wish we'd stop snarking at our leaders. But uh, uh, whatever. Or, yeah, right. <laughs> I say I sit with an elected sitting next to me. But like uh, uh, the 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 basis genesis difference between American democracy, our republic, is founded on the fact that we don't think we have a king and we don't think our leader is sacrosanct. And yet the criticism of Romney is, why didn't you fall in line? Why, how dare you, um, you know, not defend the president? And I look and say, what where did we become a nation and and i say to republicans you don't want everyone to fall in line you want a battle of ideas and and i i can see you just flat out disagreeing with romney that makes complete sense to me but I, what i don't understand is the criticism that he didn't fall in line i i find no value to that
0: and john did well, you look
2: this seemed to be an exercise of everybody falling in For line sure good point on either side hey fall in line whether it's in the house or whether it's in the senate
0: even right. even a retiring Lamar Alexander, who some thought because he was retiring, you know, might go against the grain, at least maybe for witnesses, not necessarily to convict in the end. But a lot of people are saying that this might hurt Mitt Romney. Uh, does Mitt Romney care, do you think? I mean, is he going to run again in four more years for another six-year term? Does, uh, does he care? Does he have to play to the party and the president?
2: No, clearly he doesn't need to play to the, the party and the president. Um, I do think it probably hurts him in the Senate. Uh, he's probably ostracized for the rest of this term in the Senate. Um, they're going to say you weren't a team player, and therefore, you know, we can't we can't work with you, and we're not going to let you have any success. And, and again, that if, is probably the dynamic of what just took place. And
1: I think you're 100 percent right, and that is the reality of it that we should face. I think. Uh, I do think it's worth verbalizing and continuing to push back with our electeds and saying, please don't choose an arbitrary brand over an idea. Please continue to support people's ideas. But that's not how it's functioning right now. I mean, I want to be realistic about that. I will say the amount of time between now and if if he chooses to stand for re-election in political years are, you know, eons. So uh, anyone who's trying to do two quick dots between now and his re-elect period, I think that's, that's not in play. So, oh, yeah. I
2: think the other dynamic that people are concerned with. So many Utahns are concerned is, is Utah going to pay the price as a result of this? Is the president going to get ticked off at Utah or other things like that? Or is Utah going to be a second-class state because we only have one instead of two effective senators? And I yeah, think you know,
1: that's a great talking point for the whole slate of uh, Republican gubernatorial candidates. If I were the governor's candidate right now, I would say, hey, listen, we need a voice in the White House. Um, you know, your senators aren't necessarily viewed, your U.S. senators aren't viewed that way. And if I were running for governor right now, that would be a platform I would be standing on.
2: Is that an announcement?
1: I, I am certainly not a Sorry, Republican Mara. candidate. I just, for Just, just kind of floated
2: out there. I just couldn't resist. Uh, There's but, only a few people running for governor these days. Only true. a couple, right?
0: And and I think that's a perfect time to segue. You know, speaking of the gubernatorial race, we learned today that John Huntsman Jr. has picked a running mate, uh, the current Provo uh, mayor, and so Michelle Kafusi. Uh, yes, exactly. And uh, is that a good pick? I I, I think
2: for John Huntsman, there's a lot of benefit to picking her. She brings a lot to the table, so... I do think he's used this to...
1: formula before. Right. Let us not be confused. First time he runs, he says, hmm, maybe I'll pick a bona fide conservative from Utah County, which, oh, has a surprisingly big cluster of Republican voting <laughs> delegates. I and resemble people. that comment. So I, I, right. I mean, I think this has nothing but strategy written on that. So is that a bad thing? I don't know. But this is a this this is how Herbert got into his position. I think the same assessment that was made of Michelle Cavusi was made many years ago by Huntsman when he chose. Um, Herbert Now, Herbert was also in the race at the time, right? I mean, he was actively a competitor of, of Huntsman's as well, but clearly the notion there is um, Huntsman's open flank is bona fide conservatism, as a, and, and he, he clearly wants to cover that flank.
0: And the other time when Huntsman made an announcement, it was when he actually entered the race. I was in Cedar City for that announcement. And immediately, some of the other candidates, they started to reach out saying, we want to respond. Obviously, when a big name enters the race like that, with respect to his running mate, Jeff Burningham uh, put out a statement. And he said, quote, this pick demonstrates what polls and our own internal data shows. I am the only candidate with significant upward momentum. So, John, we've got other opponents of John Huntsman already reaching out.
2: Absolutely. Well, you look at a guy like Jeff, I mean, he's trying to build name ID, other things like that. So yeah, seriously, honestly, he has nowhere to go but up. Because he's he's down at about six percent right now.
1: That was a good play by Jeff today. I mean, it's gamesmanship. I I think it's using it's using transient polling. I'm saying this as a compliment to them. One of the things that I continue to love about this governor's race is usually by now people like John and I have our Vegas money on one maybe two people, and it's just a matter of going too cheap for Vegas uh, money, right? Well, (laughs) I should I (laughs) (laughs) I take it to Wendover on behalf of the Republicans, but uh, but I usually by now you you have a sense of what you think is going to happen really right in the in the hallways you have one or two and maybe there's maybe you're down to one or two what i think is so interesting about this race is it's pretty open and this jockeying and the how and the when Um, even the structure of who's really speaking to the Republican base and who's trying to broaden it. So for the first time in in, in my sort of 25 years of following this, we're seeing, I think, a legit open race that has several plays on play. I do think it's interesting that the conventional wisdom is that many people have solidified perhaps on a running mate by convention – This is a little early for most people to announce. I mean, I thought it was astonishing that Thomas Wright announced his running mate almost in tandem with his own announcement. Mm -hmm. And what that says about you, about um, maybe it says you understand the power of having some twofer, a twofer on your, and you can attract people because of your running mate, or maybe does it say there's some failings in the top of the ticket? I don't know. I mean, that's for the voter to decide.
2: Well, and this is one of the things that Mara mentioned Folks are announcing really early in this race. Usually you're going to hear this in like April, maybe May, depending on when convention is, type of thing. And you're hearing this so early. Part of it is, yeah, are you trying to strengthen it and are you trying to give voters and delegates a view of what your candidacy is going to look like? Or is this a function of the signature process that started at the beginning of January, January 2nd, and now because essentially the campaign started so much earlier, people are jockeying because of those dynamics. I'm not sure which it is. But, yeah, to have two candidates so far announced so early out is, right, is, is very different.
1: The other thing before we leave, because I'm sure we'll talk about this um, uh, in the future, but bringing on Kafusi does start to bring up the discussion of women. And, you know, Amy Winder-Newton has gone out with a strong agenda that says – uh, a, a, a female agenda not not at the exclusion she's bringing ideas to the table obviously but, oh,
2: and but bringing a lot of ideas to the table yeah and Absolutely. that's what I mean
1: like I I, I want to put her out there as a strong candidate standalone but she's also bringing up the issue of diversity and representation in Utah of which females are are doing uh, b- worse than average in the nation and we have a poor history of electing females and so by uh bringing and prioritizing perhaps having a female on the ballot with him Huntsman might be also bringing up that dynamic into these elections.
0: So still a uh, long way to go. November is still a long ways away. Uh, still a lot of time for people to well, decide. Well, remember,
1: we're talking convention in
2: April. We're talking primary in June, where a lot of this is going to be figured out.
0: That is a great point right there. Uh, switching back kind of ping-ponging to the national stage, Iowa caucus, I think the only way to, to say that it is it was, a, uh, it was a hot mess. Uh, I, I don't even know if right now as we sit here kind, uh, huh? at 2.45 on a Friday, if an actual winner has been announced. Pete Buttigieg and Senator Bernie Sanders have, have been sort of polling near the top there uh, as the results come in. Uh, But the DNC has already asked for a re-canvas. Mara, good idea. I mean, this whole thing was an absolute debacle. What a mess,
1: man. Just put it behind you. What an indictment of the process. What what a way to get people focused off of the message and branding that the Democrats want. I mean, it was just a categorical failure. It um, didn't pick winners and losers for many people. So, tactically, you have to just put a big loss on it. What it does show, because I'd like to just bring it back to something controversial in Utah, I think what it does show and reminds us that caucuses are controlled by parties. Parties run caucuses, and they're largely compo- controlled by volunteers, lay volunteers, maybe a few, two or three paid professional staffers, but largely it's volunteers. Primaries are one run by state uh, elections offices, in our case, state, um, state, Uh, offices. And they're done by professionals. And so that's a big difference between a party and a caucus. Utah is struggling right now about many Republicans are clinging pretty heavily to their caucus process, clutching it closely to their SB 54 bosoms. And I'm just going to say, man, this really indicts because it doesn't matter if it was a Republican or a Democrat messing up Iowa. In this case, it was the Democrats. But I will say it indicts Uh, The caucus system in deference for a professionally done primary. system. Uh,
2: Well, I'm going to disagree there. (laughs) I mean, we've had many examples across the just our state alone where we've had uh, screw ups in terms of elections. Those professionals, you said, mismanaged the election and it was a disaster as well, Um, even in Utah County where I live. So. Just to say, oh, it's the professionals and it's going to be run well, I don't think that's the case. And I don't think this is an indictment of the caucus process. I do think that this is an indictment of uh, the tools that were being used. And and we used some tools a few years back for the caucus here. And what we found out was we didn't have Wi-Fi and cellular coverage in the schools that we were in. So therefore, the tools that we thought, electronic tools, this is a great idea. They just didn't work because the, the facilities weren't there. That's right, the but it's
1: fundamentally inherent in the caucus process, which is locally driven, done by neighborhood, and which is some of its advantage. But at the end of the day, uh, it's a it's a political process. It's a party process. It's not a function of the state.
2: Right, and that's the key thing. The nominating process is a function of the party and okay. should be left with the parties and not run by the state. The other key thing, though, I want to bring up is Iowa. Why do we start this process in Iowa? I mean, clearly... We have screwing national policies as a result of starting the election process in Iowa. And I don't know what the right solution is, but it shouldn't always start in one state and everybody pandering there and driving those policies. So
1: Utah this year, as we all know, is part of Super Tuesday, which is the first part of March. I think it's March 3rd. March 3rd is March 3rd, is minor. And, 3rd. And, you know, we've done many strategies on and off. I love that we're a Super Tuesday state. We're pretty early. Uh, We should make a firm showing in Utah. We've tried some Intermountain West things. If we can get a strong voter turnout this year, one thing, as John has suggested, it makes a national case to the RNC and the DNC to maybe stop with very old-looking first in who gets to go first, who gets to make those choices, and maybe move on to a different model that spreads around the start dates among either regions or other um, more influential parts of the U.S.
0: I was looking it up and it uh, back going back to the late 60s is when the Iowa caucuses they sort of came on the scene as being the first. It was uh, you know during the Vietnam War, the effort by the DNC to be a little bit more inclusive, but again, with only six electoral votes, right. again, is it totally representative of the entire country? Oh, and absolutely I think, not. And right. I think it was Obama in 2008. And then George H.W. Bush or George W. Bush, his first time around that actually they won that caucus and ended up going on to win the general election. So a lot of people asking, is Iowa the true barometer sort of to kick things off?
1: I think it's a nod to sort of we love history and as politicians, right, or as the political process. But I think it holds no more than a warm feeling in it. I don't think it's representative anymore. The demographics of the nation certainly don't, aren't reflected in the Iowa caucuses. The key
2: challenge is who goes first. And you've seen folks kind of jockey in the past, but then Iowa always wants to be first, and New right. Hampshire wants to be second, and then it kind of sprinkles out from there. And I think that's part of the challenge is we've been doing it so long this way. If we're going to change, how do we pick who goes first?
1: Yeah. And they got some money, right? I mean they figured out how to do this with their parties, both of them. Oh, and they and monetize
2: so it in terms of they do T V and radio commercials and For hotels sure. and all sorts of other stuff like that.
0: Yep. All right, let's uh, skip back to Utah here. Uh, in the legislature right now, there's a bill that would require warning labels for pornographic material. Um, it was introduced recently uh, that would require porn- pornography distributed in Utah to include a warning label about the harm of porn consumption that it can have on minors. Those who don't comply could be fined $2,500 per violation. John, we'll start with you. Good bill, bad bill.
2: I haven't read the bill, but the concept has a lot of merit. I mean, people don't understand the severity of porn addiction and what comes with that, and are I would suggest too cavalier when it comes to those issues. Um, I don't know if this is the right way to help folks start to be better informed about the risks and help parents help their kids, Um, but I do think it's important for that debate and that public policy discussion about how do we deal with the harms that come as a result of porn.
1: I don't know how many times we are going to have to approach a problem uh, with the wrong solution. So my challenge with this bill, as I am with many of what I believe start from a message morality place, is that Every data point that you can find looks at behavioral issues and things that think that society thinks are generally harmful. Smoking is the obvious example. That when we made smoking punitive, when we associate punitive measures, when we have our justice system associate uh, sticks and not carrots associated with things, we see behavior never changing. We see that when we educate people and when we uh, make them know. And this is the essence of what John said. If you were, I, I think there is a case to be made in Utah is above average in terms of our point, con- our porn consumption and uh, the negative consequences associated with that. But this uh, bill is yet another example of, oh, I'm going to put forth a bill. I'm going to wave my moral flag and then I'm going to put some punitive measure at the end of that as though that's some behavioral change where I think this is frankly a message bill that someone just wants to speak out about it. And uh I think what we need is education on the effects of, um, of pornography, particularly I don't know that you're going to find anybody defending the ground of children seeing pornography. And so I look and say we know what works as education. We know what doesn't work is putting yet another statute in place, building yet another government framework that is once again based on a punitive measure.
0: Can I ask you this? Because I'm actually doing some research for an upcoming report with respect to pornography, and we talked to some researchers, and they say, I'm I'm holding up for those that can't see our smartphones, and they call it porn in your pocket right now. So it's taken it away from having to walk into a physical store and walk up to a salesperson and show them what you're purchasing. It's taken sort of that stigma and shame away. Now anyone at any age can do this with their smartphone in any room or in any house or any where they want without anyone noticing, how does policy combat
1: that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's about resourcing and making sure, just like we have informed um, underage drinking programs in which we have great resources for parents on how to discuss those pitfalls with their kids. I think I, I think I want to be clear, I'm not saying it's not a problem and that we shouldn't have a discussion about it, but I'm thinking when you put statutory st- story punitive penalties in place, it does nothing to stop the child or the young adult or the married adult from Accessing, As you said, the biggest change in the last 15 years has been accessibility and with that anonymity, right? And so that combination, let's be sophisticated about it. Let's not judge it anymore. And let's put together some resources that are easily recognizable. We're doing this in critical areas of suicide. We're doing it in critical areas of vaping and smoking. We're doing it in critical areas uh, when it comes to children's health. We're doing this in many safety areas. Why would this be any different? And yet what we seem to do is want to approach it from a moral aspect instead of from a truly open how do we get people to understand what the consequences could be and how does the government serve a role a productive role and and not a big government role in giving those people the resources they need to take their own path
2: and part of the challenge of this is porn is viewed as free speech and i ran a bill in the legislature about 15 years ago and it was just requiring isps to provide the option of a filter parents that wanted to be able to filter their, their computers, their network access, things like that.
0: ISP being an internet service provider.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, and it was one of those interesting experiences to watch this bill that we tried to craft so carefully to walk that balancing, that line to balance uh, free speech versus provide a tool for parents and to just watch how the government couldn't really effectively provide any options
0: there. Uh, Definitely a lot of debate there still. I do want to try to get to one more thing. Mom's in favor of red flag. Uh, laws. They, they have been rallying. So polls show overwhelming support, about 90% preventing gun sales to persons who have mental health providers notify police that they might be dangerous. Um, you know, I think in the news recently we have to mention that there have been several accidental shootings with young children um, as young as I believe three years old getting their hands on a weapon. Uh, do we need more legislation over guns?
2: Uh, right now I'm not convinced that we need more. I mean, the simple fact is, um, usually where there's an accident, the gun was purchased legally, and so folks just need to protect their, lock up their firearms, as they should, any good owner, gun owner would. Um, you get into other dynamics, and I think the concern with red flag laws is that you're going to get folks that are going to complain about somebody who's not necessarily guilty of something, and then they're going to lose their constitutional rights to actually have a gun, and they're going to get this scarlet letter whatever a that they can't have a gun going in perpetuity going forward and that's one of those concerns nobody wants somebody with mental illness to have access to a gun but the question is what actually helps the public be safe versus something that just looks like it's a uh, you know a well-intentioned but misguided effort that doesn't actually help the public be safer.
1: This legislature is getting a well-deserved reputation of being tone-deaf to their constituents time and time again. The referendum has recently showed this. The initiatives show this. The fact that we have longitudinal polling that shows that their residents think that this is reasonable, that they think it has no effect on the Second Amendment's right, which has been codified in state law. I mean, I think they've underlined and highlighted our relationship with guns here. Put it in we have it. it. We've done everything. We are not unclear about Utah's position on guns. This is a safety measure. With rights come responsibilities. It is reasonable. It is achievable. The only difference is that legislators are mapping to special interest right now and not mapping to their constituents. Uh, and I, I would just suggest to the legislators that if they continue to not hear what their constituents are saying, if they continue to think that they are outside the scope, if there's somehow they, the, the glass house they're living in on some of these i think they're going to find some pebbles i hope being shot at them for november
2: well as i alluded to earlier when we were talking about porn but right here with guns if the legislature passes something that's well-intentioned but doesn't actually deliver then you actually made the public worse off because you gave them a false sense that you actually fixed something and i've yet to see any data that says red flag laws Actually, make the public safer. There have been variations on
1: red flag laws since the late '90s, and we have a body of history that shows base restrictions, base assumptions on storage and carry, um, have a direct relationship. You will also find that most hunters, and you most find that most sporting advocates who truly use these, not for nefarious purposes, completely understand and agree with the storage bills, particularly as it relates to young people and conditions in the home. These are mainstream laws. And the only reason the state legislature is not even considering it, because let make no mistake, they're not even having the discussion about that. There is no philosophical policy discussion. The answer to this on guns is no, thank you. Our our NRA rep just left. And I I, I just fail to believe that the Utah legislature is looking at this from a serious policy category. They're not looking at statistics. let me go
2: take my guns into the police department and turn them over to them for a temporary period of time. Right, and
1: and we've modified that, and as you know, the the state legislature doesn't agree with local jurisdiction laws. They Mm -hmm. think they are the end-all to be-all to policy on, on guns, and so there are some restrictions in that, but I'm just saying the lack of ability to even have a constructive policy discussion because the special interest group has so tied up this legislature, I think this legislature is Earning its reputation of being out of touch and out of step with its constituencies over and over again. This is a good example. And I would
2: still come back to the dynamic, which is when you pass something that actually doesn't fix anything, then you did a disservice to the public.
1: Right. I completely agree with that. I think this bill makes a difference.
0: Okay. Well, we will uh, find out in the future as uh, lawmakers will continue to discuss that red flag bill and legislation. So that is going to be uh, it for us on this Friday. So I'd like to thank Mara Carabello and John Dougal for being with us today. And thank you for listening. Uh, make sure you download this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you share it with your friends and subscribe. And Heidi will most likely be back next week. So you won't have this scrub. You'll get, you'll get the professional back. <laughs> so thanks again, everyone, for listening. Have a great weekend.